0: Take your Bible, turn to Psalm 1. It's one of my favorite psalms. Uh, I like it. And um, for a while I struggled with it. And I'll tell you why as we read it. But I struggled with it. And I said to the Lord... And I said this about a lot, of, a lot of the psalms I had read. There was a time in my life when I was just reading psalms and um, knew that they were true, believed in my heart they were true, but I was uh, dealing with God and God was dealing with me. And uh, I needed, I would point to some of the psalms I read And I would look up to heaven. I literally would do this. I would say, God, you said this, and you've taught me that you don't speak a lie. So I need this. And God's still doing what he promised in his word. Ever since that day, he's still doing it. Um, I know you only get saved once, but I can tell you that You can live life like you're being saved every day, and that is the continual working of God in you and in your life. And I believe in that. Uh, Some poor people are content with just popping off a prayer, saying they're saved, and there there is no change in their life whatsoever. And uh, I just have a sneaking suspicion that they are what the Bible calls false brethren. Or uh, certain brethren crept in unawares that do not have the faith that we have. They are the people that John spoke of. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have stayed with us. And um, so anyway, as as I read through this this morning and as I read it years ago, I'll tell you what I struggle with when we get done reading it here. Uh, The message this morning is going to be, I don't know how far I'm going to get, uh, but uh, we've already had a pretty good church service already, amen? But we can't neglect the preaching of God's Word, and so we're going to give attendance to it, because the power, uh, listen, I know Matthew, I know my son, I love him, I love all my children, but one thing I know about my children, Lisa and I both know, is that they are mirror copy, They're copies of us, and whatever rottenness we have in us, they've gotten them. And so I'm thankful that when my daughters sing or my son sings, and he sings a song like that, I know what he's been through. I know what God has done with him, and I know he means it. Out of his heart. If Jesus were to come today, he's ready to go. And I'm thankful for that. I'd like to know that about everybody sitting here today. That if Jesus were to come today, you're ready to go. Blessed is the man. Look at Psalm 1. In fact, let's do this. Let's read this together. Can we? All right. Let's read this together. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Do you believe God's word this morning? Say amen. Amen. Father, we ask your blessings now upon this word. Lord, I pray God that you would lead and guide me uh, through all of these notes that I have. Lord, I know I don't have to preach all of them. So Father, I pray God that you would guide me. What you would have me to say, the direction you would have me to go. But, Father, give us an understanding of this righteousness that you speak of in your word. What it means. To whom is it given. What is our responsibility once we have received your righteousness covering our transgressions? Father, show us all of these things. Be merciful to us this morning. And help us, dear God, in our lives our walk with you, our private lives, the time when nobody sees us, Father, that we still choose to do what is right. Father, bless this message. Bless these people. We pray in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen. Amen. Now, let me go through this very quickly. and And maybe you have a different list of what in this passage troubles you, but I'll tell you what troubles me. I'm going to start from the beginning. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, I have to stop right here and let you know that I struggle just with the first verse of this. I would like to be able to say that I never, ever listen to ungodly people give me counsel. I would like to be able to say that. I don't. I can't say that. I can't do it. I have listened to the wrong people at times. There were, there were uh, people that I hung around with when I was a, a, a young teenager, a teenager, And my mama knew that I shouldn't be hanging around this certain boy or this certain group of boys over here. She knew it. And she would tell me, I don't like you hanging around these guys. Did I listen? No. No. And they got me in trouble. And some of that trouble lasted me for years of my life. Because I didn't listen to my mom. I listened to the counsel of the ungodly. So strike one. Then, standeth in the way of sinners. I knew there was places I shouldn't go. People I shouldn't be associated with. People I shouldn't hang out with. God was trying to tell me that. Did I listen? No. No. Strike two. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. I grew up in this church believing that one Bible was the Word of God, and that is the King James Version of the Bible. We had good preachers here, especially the one that uh, was here when I left for Bible College, Pastor Golf, Preacher Golf. You've heard me talk about him. He was solid King James, always was. And uh, I went off to a Bible college that wasn't. And I listened to them, and they were sitting in the seat of the scornful. They scorned at anybody who believed in the King James. In fact, my first year of Bible college, I made a lot of enemies because I went around saying, I only believe the King James. I only believe the King James. I only believe the King James. I had a guy almost fight me over it one time. I mean fist fight at a Bible college over that issue. People made fun of me all the time so that my second year in college, I just decided I'd just go along to get along. Strike three. I do not qualify for the rest of this verse. You already know that my delight is not in the law of the Lord and in his law do I meditate day and night. The first year of Bible college, In freshman year, you take a course called the Literary Study of the English Bible 1 and 2. It covers two semesters, first semester, second semester. You're supposed to read the entire Bible. I didn't even do that for college. Strike four. And so, what is it that qualifies me then for he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water? That bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. What qualifies me to receive any of these blessings that God said he would give freely to those who, number one, never walked in the counsel of the ungodly, never stood in the way of sinners, and never sat in the seat of the scornful. Nothing. There's nothing here that I qualify under not one thing i mean it'd be it'd be nice if there was maybe one thing i could say oh yeah i've never i've never been any anything other than king james i i'd like to say that but i can't say that i'd like to say that i'd rather read the bible than anything in the world my flesh my flesh can't say that so A tree planted by rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in his season. Whatsoever I do shall prosper. That absolutely ain't happening with me. And he says in verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. How many of you ever felt like chaff and the wind just blows you away and blows you around and you have no place to go, nothing to turn to. Your life is empty. The chaff, by the way, gets swept up burnt. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now, I want you to notice now, verse 5. He said, the ungodly shall stand or shall not stand, big mistake, shall not stand, nor sinners where? Congregation of the Righteous. What is the congregation of the righteous? The church. This is the congregation. But how in the world did you ever get qualified to ever, yeah, you can say it. You can bust my bubble and get ahead of my notes all you want to. Say it. Say it. Jesus did it. Amen. Jesus is the one who never walked in the council of the ungodly. In fact, he stood before councils of men asking him, are you the son of God? Are you him? They tried to get him to blaspheme God. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't join with them. You remember that bunch came down to John the Baptist because they said, We want to be baptized by John so everybody will follow us. John the Baptist looked at him and said, I'm not baptizing none of you until you go and show, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. Show me that you've confessed your sins and repented of your sins. And so, what makes us qualified? It's Jesus. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. And I want to ask you this question Are you righteous this morning? Now, I'm not asking you how you feel. I'm not asking you how you feel. There is a knowledge that surpasses all emotion, all feeling, all tingling, all doodaddies up and down your back, the hair standing up on your head, most of you. Not my fault. There is a knowledge that you have that bypasses your feelings and emotions about the situation. Because if you're like me, your emotions and your feelings get way out of whack, and you say to yourself, There's no way in the world I'm saved. There is not a chance in the world that I'm saved. That's your feelings. You know what those are? They're characterized in the Bible by the word imaginations. You imagine something that is going to happen in the future, whereby when you die, God is going to take one look at you and say, uh, depart from me, ye cursed one, into everlasting fire. That's what your imagination comes up with. But there is a knowledge that is above all feeling and all imagination. And little devils on your shoulder and little angels over here. There is a knowledge that passes every bit of that. And it is the knowledge that I am redeemed by Jesus Christ. Therefore, I stand righteous. Amen. Listen, if you can get happy about that song Matthew sang, you can act a little happy at the preaching of God's word. Amen. This is good stuff here. I'm not telling you that my preaching of it is good. The verses are good. Here is the first occurrence of the word right or righteous, righteousness, righteousnesses. That's actually in the Bible. The first occurrence, Genesis 7. You can turn there if you want to. In fact, I encourage you to keep up with me in your Bible. Underline these verses. They are important. One of these days, the devil's going to jump on you and say, there ain't no way you're saved. There's no way you've been forgiven. That God's, listen, you've sinned that sin so many times. God's not ever going to forgive you. You might as well just hang it up and just come and join me. Let's party. Tell you what, you ain't lived a Christian life until you had the devil invite you back. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Now notice this. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Now, uh, let's look down at um, verse 5. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. Now, how many of you believe, and I want to see your hand this morning, how many of you really believe that at the time that Noah is commissioned to build this ark until the day that he got on the ark, that Noah was a sinner... Just like you and I. So, answer the question. How come is it that God can look at Noah? Now, God is no respecter of persons, is he? Does God care that you're from one family line and because of that family line you're automatically going to heaven? Is that how God... Is it because you're an American? That's why God's going to send you to heaven? No. It has nothing to do with your race. It has nothing to do with the kind of person you are. It doesn't have anything to do with how much money you have or how much money you don't have. There is uh, a rich man's pride and there is a poor man's pride. Bless God, I ain't got no money. And you're just as proud of that as the man on Wall Street who's got everything try to keep you out of heaven by the way so tell me what it was about noah that god was able to look at him and say for thee have i seen righteous before me in this generation what one thing is it about noah that god said this and the answer is in the bible huh you said faith Thank you. Next verse on my list, Noah, Genesis six, eight, Noah found grace. Where did he find it at? What does what it is what is it that you see with? For thee have I seen righteous. Why? Because Noah found grace where? In the eyes of the Lord. God in his mercy looked upon Noah and saw and gave him grace. Grace! Because Noah, when Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, when you find something, it's because you're looking for it. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Amen? Now, so that right there is the doctrine. George said faith. Somebody over here said grace. You're both right. It is the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. More than likely at the time. Now we don't have the Bible saying this. But we know by certain historical records. That the people before the flood worshipped. Other gods. Noah had a choice of what God he was going to follow, did he not? And when Noah went looking for grace and forgiveness, in fact, let's, let's, let's narrow it down here for a minute. There ain't no way I'm going to get through, uh, I think it was 19 PowerPoint slides full of Bible verses. Unless everybody, unless y'all brought a lunch with you and you got it sitting next to you. I won't keep you that long. But, oh, now what was I going to say? Noah could have have chosen any one of these other gods that was around at the time before the flood. But he went, okay, I now remember. He went choosing this one. Now what is it that we absolutely know for sure was a sin that he committed what was it huh he was a he was a drunk babylon the bible tells us all oh, let's let's see here let's go off the tracks here let's go to revelation Turn to Revelation seventeen. Do you know there's different types of drunk? Like this. Yeah. There's different I will be able to find it since I'm looking for it. Anyway, uh, Revelation chapter 17. There came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great horde that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth. Watch this now. The inhabitants of the earth, that means everybody in the world, have been made drunk. Drunk, then, is a universal sin. It encompasses and affects every single person on this world, with the exception of, uh, if you remember the guys we had in our, uh, um, from the group home there, uh, I believe those guys are safe, not saved, but safe. Um, let me find that verse. Yeah, that's a good one. We'll do that one. That'll work. But anyway, drunkenness, and notice that what kind of drunkenness it is. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her what? Fornication. Now, let me just say this. Some people made a habit of drinking strong drink and wine. And it has an effect on a person's life. It destroys brain cells. It destroys relationships. It destroys a person's testimony. It destroys a lot of things. But also, not just drunk With wine, not just inebriated. But in verse 2, they're drunk with the wine of fornication. This sin in this world today. And let me just, I'll give you my two cents worth on what fornication is. Fornication is every activity That should be limited only between a husband and his legal wife. I'm saying legal wife because we had a situation here a while back. Where a man and a woman had a secret ceremony. Whereby they married themselves to each other. Without any witnesses, without A justice of the peace without a minister and without a marriage license. And they wanted, they believed in their mind or they convinced themselves that that was legitimate and it was right so that they wouldn't feel guilty about the ocean cruise that they were on at the time. Do everybody understand what I'm saying? They did that to legitimize them in fornication on an ocean cruise to make their conscience soothed over so they would not feel guilty about it. I, of course, had to confront the situation, and unfortunately, it went downhill quickly. I'm here to tell you that the sin of fornication, which is basically, I think it covers every base and covers every kind of unclean act that should be reserved for a man and his wife. I think it covers that. I think fornication is as rampant as anything can be in this country and around the world. Say amen. We don't like to talk about it. We certainly don't like to confess it to others. But I'm telling you, it's everywhere. And that is a type of drunkenness. God said so. You know so. It brings a high. It brings a feeling to you that you can't get anywhere else. And so whether, whether you are a, a, a bourbon drunk, a vodka drunk, a, a wino, or you take... Uh, pills, or you smoke legal marijuana, which ought not be. I'd say that we ought to go and burn them places down, but that would just make the problem worse. Amen. Marijuana, cocaine, heroin, Uh. Fentanyl. They charged a mother with giving her child fentanyl so it would sleep. Several years ago, they busted uh, a man and a—I won't say his wife—they were probably shacking up. They charged them. The mama would rub heroin on her baby's lips. So that the baby wouldn't bother her by waking up. That's a sick world we live in. Amen. There, there are people out right now. That are visiting. Men. Visiting. Men. On one of these apps. Where you just. I don't know how you type, type something in or whatever and that shows somebody else that you're interested and they get you to hook up. You would never believe that this man craves other men. But he does it nearly every day. He can't get away from it. That's a type of drunkenness, is it not? Um... Isaiah 19, 14, the Lord, look at this, the Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit in the midst thereof, and they have caused Egypt to err in every work thereof, as a drunken man staggereth in his vomit. You see, God will allow a perverted, perverse spirit, he will mingle that into a person's life to cause them to be in error. Why? Because they want to be in error. Why do you think people flock to a mega church whose pews are full because the preacher will not preach against their shacking up, will not preach against fornication, will not preach... In fact, he's probably doing it. Which is why he won't preach against it. Uh, by the way, that's not the message. So far, it's pretty good, amen? It's about righteousness. Turn to Genesis 15. Here's what I'm telling you. Did you know that God can save drunk people? Amen, Roy. God can save them. Roy, we knew there was a man when Lisa and I were out at Richwoods. um, He started coming to church there, him and his wife and his daughter. And uh, he he had a drinking problem. And him and his wife started coming to church and they started praying that God would help him with this thing. That this doesn't happen to everybody, but he gave his testimony one day. He said he got up one day and and went over. He he really wasn't wanting to be drunk that day or didn't want to really drink anything, but it was his habit. He went over to the liquor cabinet, got out some whatever it was he drank. He said he took a drink of it, went over to the sink and vomited right then and there. So he waited till that died down. He took another drink a couple hours later, did the same thing. And the bottom line was, he said that God made him sick every time he took a drink. And he said, he just changed the taste of it for me. And I don't want anything to do with it anymore. And that day, God delivered him from it. And you know what? He did it just in time because they had a 13-year-old daughter and she was very rebellious. And that family called me one night, middle of the night. Because that 13-year-old daughter got on the back of a three-wheeler. You remember those? the three-wheelers that they outlawed because they're so dangerous. She got on the back of this, she must have liked this boy and she got on the back of his three-wheeler and they crashed and it put her in the ICU unit. They didn't think she was going to live. She had so much brain damage. But when she finally woke up out of it, she was altogether different. She had learning disabilities and one eye was looking the other way and things like that, but she wasn't rebellious no more. She was the sweetest thing you could ever meet. And God had to prepare that family for that event. So what God did was with this man was he imputed righteousness where there was no righteousness. Look at, look at uh, Genesis 15. In verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abr- Abram in a vision. This is before he, he gets his name changed. Saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Now, if you understand what's going on here, Abraham has a servant by the name of Eliezer, And he's saying, I'm going to just let Eliezer be the recipient of my inheritance. And he surely he'll bring forth seed. And that's what God meant. But God said, I didn't mean that because I didn't say it. I didn't mean it. If I would have said it, then I would have meant it. But I didn't say that. Abram, I said, out of you is going to come the one. And so. Verse 5, and he brought him forth abroad. He said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. Now, in Abram's day, they didn't know what a telescope was, much less have one. So all they could do was look at the, the thousands of stars up in the heaven and they, no man could count them. Now we have telescopes that see 13 billion light years away from earth and we, now we are so inundated with the number of galaxies and stars that we know there is no way we'll be ever count them, ever. And this is what God said. So shall thy seed be. Now notice verse 6. He believed in the Lord. You know what that is, George? Faith. And he counted it to him for righteousness. So imagine, imagine a, uh, an Excel spreadsheet or an accountant's ledger and in that ledger or that spreadsheet for those of you in the 21st century <clears throat> who don't know what a typewriter is <laughs> or a rotary phone in that ledger on that spreadsheet is every sin you committed. And then over in the next column, is the number of times you committed it. And then over in the next column, is the number of eternal life sentences that you have to spend in prison in order to pay your debt to God. So let's say that... um, Oh, let's see, who can I pick on here? You know, Kyle, I've never picked on you yet, I don't think. <clears throat> yeah. Is that a threat? Good luck? So let's say that, let's say that Kyle actually is a mass murderer. I'm just making something up out of the blue here. Hopefully. And now. Uh, <clears throat> Kyle's a mass murderer, and um, for every murder, God wrote it, had an angel, write it down on a spreadsheet, and for every murder, he gets sentenced to eternal life in the lake of fire. But he's not just committed one. He's a serial killer, and he's killed, so far, 3,212 people. 3,213 people, 3,214 people, 3,215 people. And for every extra murder, God attaches another eternal life sentence to that. And they're not served consecutively, they're served concurrently, one after another. So, Kyle, when do you think you're ever going to get out of the lake of fire? Never. There's a a reason why in courts they give multiple life sentences. And that is to just, number one, it's the requirement of the law. That if they commit this sin, the penalty is life in prison. And if they commit 12 of those sins, then they have to serve 12 life sentences. And people go, why did they even do that? Just one's enough. But the law has to be kept. And it just removes any possibility at all that this person will ever. So let's say that they um, let's say that they gave him the death penalty and they shot the, the stuff into him and he died and he was legally dead for a minute. But then something happened and he woke up from that. If all he has is one death penalty against him, he's a free man after that. His lawyer could argue that he satisfied the demands of the law. Do you remember when they threw Daniel in the lion's den? The sentence that they imposed written by the law was, is that whoever prayed to a different God had to be thrown into the lion's den. It didn't say that he had to die in there. And that was a loophole that God used. God didn't break the law. The king couldn't even break the law. So the king goes the next morning, Daniel, oh, Daniel. And he looks down here and sees Daniel petting lions. Oh, you're so cute. And now Daniel can come out of the lion's den. Why? Because he satisfied the demands of the law. So this is what sin is. Sin for every sin that you commit. Add on one eternal life sentence. And let's see, am I getting that right? Consecutively or con- oh, consecutively is how they do it. One after another. Concurrent is when they make you serve them all together. But these are done consecutively. For every sin, not just killing somebody, for hating somebody. Which Jesus said, if you hate your brother, that's murder. Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, that's adultery. Paul said, if you covet something, that's idolatry. So who in here is going to get through this life without breaking one of God's commandments? There is none, what? Righteous. That's the word I'm preaching today. There's none righteous. No, not one. So I want you to look now again at verse 6. This is what God did. Abraham or Abram believed in the Lord. And he counted it to him. For righteousness. That means. In, on Kyle's ledger. Yes. God can even forgive. A murderer. Because. I was in Oklahoma. A man by the name of Sean. I say a man. He was a boy. He was 16 years old. Two years younger than me. He killed his mother. Stepdad and a convenience store clerk in cold blood was sentenced to death uh, by the court in Oklahoma. He was the youngest person to ever be on death row in Oklahoma. 16 years old. And you know what happened to him? He got saved. And he went around telling everybody, don't let your kids play with demonic games. Don't let them play Dungeons and Dragons, which is big now, again. Again. Don't let your kids near those things, people! They are full of devils! But anyway, in a, in, a, in a satanic rage, he kills his mom, his stepdad, convenience store clerk. And you know what he said? He said, I know. He said, I'm, I'm not showing you that I got religion to get out of death row. I deserve to die. But I'm making preparations for what happens after that. That's good. That's good. Amen. So what God did was he took all of those murders off of Sean Sellers. Spreadsheet. Wiped it clean. So that the numbers total zero. How many life? How many eternal life sentences? Zero. How many death penalties? Zero. How many, uh, how many times in hell? Zero. Because God has taken your faith in hell. I don't know if I have a verse after that. No, 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 no. I'm not even going to go there. God has taken your faith in Jesus Christ and in His Word. This is why I tell people, when you're struggling... What do I always tell you? Read the Bible, read Psalms. When there's something going on, read the Bible. Read, usually read Psalms. That's the medicine jar. That's where all the good stuff is. And it's got, I mean, it's got sleep medicine in there. It's got antidepressants in there. It's got joy medicine in there. It's got medicine that will make you happy. And you believe it. And God takes every one of your sins and wipes them clean and puts a zero on the bottom of there. And and He says, of what is He guilty? And they read the charges. Father, there's nothing that He's done wrong. He is as innocent as your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen! That's the doctrine of righteousness by grace through faith. Abraham believed God, and he counted. See that word, counted? Who took accounting in high school or college? Yeah. Double ledger, all of that stuff. That word, is an accounting term. It means the tally comes up, zero. The books are now balanced, and you're free. Amen. Now, how many of you just get happy over that? Raise your hand, say amen, hallelujah, whatever. Clap your hands. Do something. Amen. Amen. Woo! Amen. Now, how many of you believe somebody you know needs to know this? That's your mission. That's your mission this week. Pray that God will send somebody to you and you can share with them that what God does with sins of people who believe in him, he wipes them clean. And they're no longer on the books. See, so what do we call the financial records of an organization? What do we, we, well, it's a called a ledger, but somebody comes in and says, Look, I want to look at the books. What is it and the great white throne judgment that an angel presents to God? The books! And when they pull out yours, Father, there's nothing here. That's good stuff, man. like that you can fall in love with God all over again. So you can be happy of God doing such a great thing. Not even your mom and daddy, not even the, not even the police, not even the Supreme Court of the United States can take your sins off of God's books. Only Christ can do that. They're blotted out and covered blood. Father, what a glorious, glorious message. Lord, I did not count on this. I did not figure this. I had no idea what you were going to do, where you were going to lead. But Lord, I like it. God, you know me. I struggle with what I think is on the books. I struggle with it. And oh, how I want when I stand before you in judgment and you say to an angel, Bring out Michael Hoggard's books. Let's find out what he owes to the society of heaven Lord I get afraid that maybe maybe something I've done is not forgiven and then I read your word and I read the promises that you make and I believe that the books are open and nothing is found therein. It's all been blotted out. Those white blood cells being wiped out in my books, wiping out all of my sins and transgressions. Father, I, I cannot thank you and praise you enough in this lifetime. I can't do it. So, Father, I just want to say thank you before these people that you've wiped the books clean. And, Father, I want, to, I want to be able to share that with somebody, anybody, who needs to know and needs to hear that the books can be clean, can be washed and made whole. That's what I want to know. That's what I want to do. Father, would you give me that opportunity? God, would you give that opportunity to everyone here, Lord, that is asking for it? It'll, be, it'll end up being the simplest thing they've ever done is to be able to just witness that the books can be wiped clean. God, would you do that for each and every one that's here today, each and every one that's online. And God, you do that. You do that, Lord. And I wonder how many people then could be added to your kingdom in one week by one person sharing that the books are open and there's nothing there. Father, give us that ministry of reconciliation. The books being reconciled with you, double-checked, and there's nothing there. God, teach it to us and instill it in our heart and help us then to share it with somebody that we love and know. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stand up!